0: We're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott
1: Thompson on 900CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Major Tom McKay is on the board. while Willerskin booking the guests in the legendary CHML Newsroom, Dave Wardard and Jennifer McQueen. Here's Scott Thompson.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It is Hamilton Today. I'm Scott Thompson, 900 CHML. Uh, Supreme Court uh, rules, uh, and this is a headline out of the Toronto Star, Justin Trudeau's government uh, government's environmental assessment scheme is uh, unconstitutional. Uh, it is a plainly overstep of its authority. And uh, this was called, you might remember, the No Pipeline Act. This was actually put into play back in 2019, but it's been in court since. What does that say it takes four years for this stuff to even get through. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see how that uh, changes the discussion on energy uh, moving forward. Uh, what else we got? Uh, Hamas a terrorist group calling for a day of action today across the world. Uh, still nothing more on Hamilton Center MPP uh sarah jama she is still in the ndp after another uh damaging dialogue i guess on uh, social media which i understand is still up uh but yeah there you go and you y- y- it's hard to take the ndp seriously when they seem more like protesters than politicians and just extremists you know i always hear about the extreme right the extreme right the extreme right well guess what there's a good dose of the extreme left <laughs> here's an idea why don't we come to the center And work together. Remember that? Remember when we used to do those sorts of things? Uh, anyway, so, um, uh, this was kind of interesting because we're, we're watching, I guess this is day seven now after, uh, uh, the hell that has been inflicted on Israel and Gaza now. Um, obviously there is going to be a, uh, a massive surge into Gaza from Israel. It certainly looks like a million people uh, being asked to get the heck out. So they're going in and they're not coming out until Hamas is gone. It certainly looks like. Um, and uh, yeah, that's where we are. So, uh, uh, you know, Canadians trying to get out, you're hearing the stories on the newscasts and such. And many uh, yesterday, the Chris, the prime minister was up in the Northwest territories, walking through a burnt forest. Uh, Melanie Jolie uh, uh, said a while ago when asked pressed by reporters uh why in fact uh you know more hasn't been done or they're not doing this or doing that and she basically said she's a busy woman
2: I'm a Question. busy woman <laughs>
0: So uh, since we've got that, we'll play instead of playing it in fun out of context, as we're enjoying today, because really you have to find some sort of fun in the hell that seems to be going on around us. Uh, here is the full interview, uh, which was from a couple of days ago. And to me, this just, again, uh, exposes the ignorance. Of this government and, 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 and again, this was a, a minister who said to CBC's Travis Danraj when he asked why there was like a dozen of them going over to Ukraine after the Russian invasion. And she said she rejects the question. So, um, you know, people wonder and talk about the liberals having a, a communication problem in the prime minister. I don't know. It's, um, it's quite a bit all around them as well. Here is that interview in the question.
3: Thank you, and, and Mr. Jolie, as a follow-up, mm-hmm. um, Anthony Blinken is heading to Israel. Are you planning a similar trip? And is Canada planning any sanctions
2: or any sort of response on its own in response to Hamas's attack? So uh, I've been in contact with the White House yesterday and I've been in contact with many uh, important players in the region uh, and I'll continue to do so and I'll have more to say in the coming hours on this issue. You know, oh, no, I'm a busy is. woman, Marie-K. On, on sanctions or, or on a trip, which so, one is that? So on all of these subjects, I'm working 24-7 on this. Meanwhile, there's so many issues happening in the world and trying to address all of these. Uh, but my goal right now is to make sure that this assisted departure is well done. And I'm happy to be here because I'm able to be in the presence of Wayne and Julie and we're able to work together. So. That's my first uh, priority, and second, my second priority is really to help. Um, I'm working with partners to de-escalate because I'm concerned about what's going on in the region. I'm concerned that this could be a second front to uh, what is happening in the world, as we're also dealing with Ukraine, which is our first front, and so uh, that's why I've been uh, talking to many, many of my colleagues and been. Uh, in contact with them every hour.
0: All right. That's uh, Melanie Jolie. Uh, and there's been much criticism of the reaction of the government. The embassy was closed. The Canadian embassy was closed uh, in Israel uh, during the weekend when all of this was going down. And then it was, you know, can we get people out? And, and Melanie Jolie said, well, as long as there's commercial flights going in and out, we, <laughs> we, we don't go in. And now, voila, today, she's there. She's uh, she's actually in Israel. And and I don't know whether she's going to bring a whole pile of people home in her suitcase or 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 what she's really going to do there. But again, Canada has been eliminated from a lot of these discussions and we're just not taken seriously anymore. And when obviously, again, uh, it appears the government is 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 have some pressure put on it that it reacts after the fact and you know from i'm being a busy woman and embassies being closed to i'm gonna fly over there myself and just whip them all into shape so um you know is this actually helping uh, i i guess more in the mix always helps or is it more just you know a front well you know Prime Minister walks through forests. So I got this vision. You're heading out towards Port Dover, Friday the 13th. The pipes are rattling. You got the leather on. Uh, but how old is the person riding the bike? Are they a young, svelte person in their 20s? or a uh, more seasoned individual, perhaps, in their 60s, because they're all there, and uh, it looks like it's going to be a pretty good edition of Friday the 13th down in Port Dover. Second one this year, first one in January, so, you know, unless you want to get on the uh, sled and head on out, uh, it's a bit more difficult, but uh, it looks like uh, it's going to be a pretty good uh, a pretty good one this time out. Let's bring in Amy Martin, Mayor, Norfolk County, and is with us now. Amy, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing doing well.
3: Yeah, doing well. Great day in Port Dover.
0: So what's this edition like? Uh, It looks like a pretty good day down there.
3: Great turnout. Obviously, you know, it's very uh, dependent on the weather and the road conditions. So we're having a great day.
0: So uh, does this one look as good as those in the past um, or a little too late in the season?
3: No, I wouldn't say that. I don't have exact numbers yet, but really great turnout. Lots of bikes, lots of pedestrians in the town. Um, Hard to say. We have a bit of a new parking arrangement that we've been trying out for safety reasons. So um, we don't get as congested in the middle of the town, but uh, still really, really great turnout. I just don't have those numbers yet.
0: So talk about the new parking arrangement you have.
3: Well, typically the bikes have parked on Main Street, but uh, you know, for safety concerns, we want to make sure we can get fire trucks and EMS through to the center of the town. Mm-hmm. Um, that they can, you know, make the wide corner turns and so on. So you'll find the bikes are parked on the peripherals. They're parked beautifully down by the pier and the beach. Um, They're on St. George, St. Andrew Street, and they're at the top end of Main Street. So you can certainly still walk around and see the bikes, and then you'll find vendors on Main Street, closer to the beer tents and uh, other businesses.
0: So everybody from around here knows exactly what this is about. They've been over the years one time or another or such. To someone who's never been there, describe this event.
3: Oh, man, I would say, you. well, you got to come see it. Um, We're talking about a town of 7,000 people that can turn into um, a sea of people, a sea of 100,000 people, you know, overnight with with, um, people from all over Canada and the States coming into Port Dover to um, participate in the tradition that is Friday the 13th. There's, There's live entertainment, music, the stores are open, uh, the food is hot, um, you know, the beer is cold, and there's a lot of really unique uh, motorcycle-related things to check out, but also just the camaraderie and the nostalgia of the day.
0: What does this mean for local business? What does it do for the town?
3: I love this question because it's so important. Uh, a really great Friday the thirteenth in a peak season can carry not only our local businesses but our service clubs through um you know a full year or certainly through the shoulder season in, in the winter. So the economic boon cannot be understated. And then obviously those service clubs, they're putting money right back into the community. So it's really important uh to the many businesses and our service clubs, and we're certainly appreciative of the support.
0: Who comes from where?
3: Oh, goodness. Everyone from everywhere, left, right, and center. Hard to, <laughs> uh, hard to measure it. But like you said, all ages, all walks of life. Um, and, you know, just because people uh, come in on a motorcycle, it's not that stereotypical person. There's, there's a <laughs> lot of uh, people from all over that love to participate in the day and check it out. So really hard to measure, but there's something for everyone.
0: Oh, so that's a good question, Amy. What if you don't have a bike? What if you're not a rider?
3: Well, I, I hate to, you know, tell the secret on air, but, you know, you mentioned the January uh, events. A lot of people will ride in a car to Friday the 13th to mm. still say they came and get their T-shirt. And some of them will even trailer their bikes and do a lap around the town on their bikes and put it back <laughs> on a trailer. So there's a couple, you know, some diehards who've never missed an event. And, uh, yeah, like I said, something for everyone.
0: Uh, You talked about vendors and such, and I know there's an annual t-shirt and such. Talk about that.
3: Oh, my gosh, yes. I actually this year went down and got a hoodie myself, which is a nice addition. So a lot of the businesses, they create their own t-shirts, the service clubs, the kinsmen, the board of trade. um, And there's local artwork on all of the t-shirts. It's really unique. There's there's skulls with the lighthouse and the beach or there's motorcycles with the perch bones on them really cool stuff so people like to come and get their t-shirt with the date and sometimes they have the running list of all of the friday the 13th dates. Um, but Hmm. there's so much more than that the vendors have you know everything you can need to to come in on your bike Uh, you forgot something you need to take it home with you if you want a patch for the event for your jacket Um, and you we, we can even see in this big summer events you know Someone like Harley Davidson coming and setting up a booth. So there is truly mm. something, uh, you know, for every, every motorcycle enthusiast.
0: Give us a quick history uh, how this all got started. And you must just shake your head about how it did get started and what it's become.
3: That's the beautiful thing about Friday the 13th. It is grassroots. It is community-led. It is organic. I don't think you could stop it if you wanted to. Uh, 1981, a Port Dover community member who still lives here in Port Dover and still partakes in the day started it with some of his friends. They got together over a couple of drinks with their bikes and decided they'd do it again on another Friday the 13th. And, you know, several, several years later, here we are with this massive rendition of, of what Friday the 13th is. And we've even seen it blown out into the into the Thursday, the 12th and, and Saturday, mm. the 14th. So um, it really is a beautiful thing. And, and it's just an organic community led uh, event. And, and really, from a municipal perspective, we just react. We get prepared because we know what's happening.
0: And, you know, and you've embraced it. Good for you guys. Uh, And and the the cool thing about this, Amy, this all started before there was social media. It just spread word of mouth.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just so organic. It doesn't quite happen that way. You know, you see so many people work so hard to put really great events together and you're right there's social media and there's traditional media and marketing and none of that happened this is word of mouth and it was just important to uh, this group to get together and celebrate and spend time together and celebrate other you know with other motorcyclists so um, they have they've managed to do that quite successfully I would say.
0: Another Friday the 13th down in Port Dover, Amy Martin with us, mayor in Norfolk County. Enjoy this edition of, and uh looks like a pretty good day. It should be a successful uh, weekend for you.
3: Yeah, thanks so much.
0: All right, um, Taylor Swift, you know, the the kids love her. Everybody loves her. How can you not? Football players love her. The NFL <laughs> loves her. Uh, and, and you think about, you know, uh, what she's doing, like, um, I think she, what's she doing, six months in Toronto? huh? Oh, six days. And and you can't get tickets. You can't, you know, kids crying and, and parents, mothers driving their minivans off the street trying to trying to cope with uh, a kid that doesn't have a Taylor Swift sh- uh, ticket. So what do you do? Well, you bring the concert to your local movie theater. And when you think about some of the issues the movie theater companies have been having and big movies and stuff, <laughs> a writer's strike certainly isn't helping. Uh, this is exactly what they need as Taylor Swift coming into your theater same thing with beyonce eric elper with his uh, music publicist and music commentator here now eric thanks for the time hope you're well
4: i'm good i'm so glad that she did the advanced ticket thing or else there would be lineup starting at midnight tonight for people to try to get into the theaters
0: what does that say that you're buying theater tickets like you're buying a concert ticket now here
4: it says that Taylor Swift is bigger than this planet um, and she needs to start conquering other planets like Mars or Pluto um, because <laughs> she's got this one all wrapped up. Um, she's essentially with by the time that 9 a.m. Los Angeles time started with the first screening, it was official that the era's movie film is now the fifth biggest highest grossing film of the year. Um, and there's more to come. Um, it's crossed over the hundred million dollar mark in terms of, of theater tickets. Um, what a brilliant move. She bypasses the normal way of doing things of getting your movie in a theater. Normally you would have to go through one of the studios like Paramount or 20th century Fox or a 24, but she actually did the deal quietly and privately, um, With AMC theaters across North America and said, I'm going to give this to you. Here are my rules. And, um, you know, let's do it. And they did. And they, you know, right now it's in over 4000 screens and all of them have been sold out for months and months and months.
0: Man, that's the really the real story here, isn't it, Erica? Not so much that of course this you know singer is selling out wherever she goes, whether it's a theater or a concert hall or a stadium or what have you, but also the fact that she cut her own deal here with a with a movie chain rather than you said going through quote Hollywood. It's got nothing to do with Hollywood.
4: Yeah, and and part of it and and nobody quite knows the answer to this, but part of it was that during the writer's strike, there were certain things yeah. that she could do and certain things she couldn't do in terms of the actual filming of this concert. She wasn't allowed to use say union workers, but because um, she is a member of, of SAG and, and ACTRA, that it kind of gave her a little bit of leeway. But um, going through direct sounds sounds strange, but when you look at Taylor Swift's history, her fights publicly with yeah. um, iTunes and Spotify taking down her music until they pay not only her, but artists properly and better than they ever have before. Um, when she has a, when she sees a problem of what's going on, she just decides to take the bull by their horns and just does it themselves. So during the writer strike, I'm sure that she was like, I don't even know what's going to happen. My end result is I want people to see this film. Netflix is too small. I want to get into the movie theaters. And that's exactly what she was able to do.
0: And again, at the end of the day, all you need is that raw footage that you see on the video screens from the show
4: yeah but that's the fascinating thing is like that this movie is not that at all but no. that could have been the easy way out yeah and in fact these cameras that were zipping around the stages not only do you get a first person impression of what Taylor Swift sees because there's a lot of movement of these cameras to the audience mm. to her band members so you see seventy thousand people that pack the 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 arena where she where she ended up filming it, not only do you see from her perspective, but you see all these scenes that people didn't get a chance to see on tour because now it opens up two groups of people who want now watch to see the film, those people who saw the concert and now you get to experience it like you never have before. And of course, all those millions of people who never even got a chance to see those screens because they couldn't get a ticket for the concert in the first place
0: brilliant so how does this change the industry moving forward like you know my first question was going to be before well uh, here it comes eric all the old concert films are going to be released but then again that involves the studios
4: yeah you know this is going to be really interesting and i bet you that amc's Phone had been ringing off the hook once this was actually announced because I think for a lot of artists that are big enough to be able to do something like this, they probably never even thought of doing something like this. You know, you and I have talked, especially during COVID, about how artists were pivoting to, let's do a documentary on my life and have it on Netflix and let's write, you know, Let's do that autobiography that I was always threatening to write. Now I've got 18 months worth of time. Let's go ahead and do it. Now this opens up a whole new set of circumstances and more importantly, a whole new revenue stream for artists like Drake or The Weeknd or Bad Bunny to keep going long after that concert tour has finished to go in and do it. I'm sure somebody like Elton John is kicking himself going, Mm. I should have done this. Cause not only do you get a big chunk of money from AMC to have that movie theater um, block in your honor now. Um, but you also get to now promote the rest of the Eras tour. And although that you can't buy a ticket, you watch those ticket prices on the third party mm-hmm. sites go through the roof. And now people are going to clamor to go and see her at all costs.
0: And the concert movie, Eric, nothing new here. It's the way it's been distributed. The way we're watching yeah. it.
4: Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've seen right now in the last couple of weeks of U2 opening up the sphere in Las Vegas. Yeah. And that sets a whole new standard, not only of concerts, but it made people kind of be interested in the IMAX experience all over again. So you have a, a plethora of movies like Stop Making Sense by The Talking Heads or The Bands, The Last Waltz, or even Bob Dylan's concert film, Depeche Mode's 101 that was never in concert theaters, but... But it was available on DVD, and now that—funny, you know how things kind of work sometimes. But Best Buy in North America just announced that they um, have, are going to be stopping selling DVDs and Blu-rays. Well, mm. now all those concert films that were on DVD and Blu-ray. Yeah, if you spend another couple of dollars, maybe remixing and remastering, you too can have your own week-long session in a movie theater. Wow. And, you know, these people—they they'll always have. There's always room for a sellout. You know, there's oh. always room for a guarantee. Martin Scorsese film, a yeah. Leo Leo DiCaprio film. It's going to be really interesting to see what decides to come back in the theaters all over again.
0: All right. We're pretty much out of time, but I got to ask you, what'd you think of the U2 sphere thing? Cause to me it looked like, uh, just the band playing a soundtrack to a circus going on.
4: Yeah, I agree with that. Nobody I've talked to that were there and no, nothing in the, in the reviews have said how good U2 was exactly it's all about the experience of it. Yeah. And that's what you're walking away from spending $5,000 on a pair of tickets that you get to talk about the experience of being inside an elephant's mouth for two and a half hours it looks amazing though
0: (laughs) eric alper with us, music publicist and commentary uh swifties in theaters soon everywhere it's a new trend eric as always thanks for the time be well thank you so much for having me we remember the uh situation in regard to the hamilton alliance for tiny shelters hats and uh and and just the um I don't know debauchery, (laughs) just the mistakes that that happened with the uh, potential site that was uh, not really on Hat's initial uh, selection uh, list, but ended up being used because that's what the city was um, was uh, suggesting, and not enough consultation done with those in the north end, and we all know where that went. And you know. I often wondered because we heard about this is virtually happening in every city across Canada. It's not something that's just happening here by any means. And our friends up in Kitchener, Waterloo have, have come up with a, uh, uh, a way to do this successfully where, the job gets done. We we provide the services that we need, and um, everybody seems to be relatively content with how they're moving forward on this. Why this sort of consultation was not done here in the city of Hamilton or even just phoning up people like we are here to get some information um, is beyond us. But let's bring in Jeff Wilmer. He's the chair of the board of directors and volunteer for Kitchener Waterloo's A Better Tent City, and he is with us now. Jeff, thank you for the time. Hope you're well. Yes, thank you, Scott. How are you? Good, thank you. This was established in 2020. How did it even come
5: about? Well, it came about because uh, we, we looked at the reality that there were people living rough on the streets of, of Kitchener-Waterloo, and we thought uh, these people need help and, and nobody else is helping them. And so we thought, you know, maybe a, t- a tiny homes community would be one part of the solution.
0: Uh, how did you find the site? How did you select that?
5: Well, we, we started off on an industrial property, and my good friend Ron, uh, the late Ron Doyle, uh, it was actually his idea to do this, and he had property uh, that uh, when when COVID hit, he had an event space and no events, so he thought, why not use that as our, our kitchen and our washroom, and we'll bring in tiny homes or cabins uh, to give people a safe place to sleep. So we started off in an industrial area, um, and uh, that was largely because One of the partners in our initiative owned the property.
0: And what is it now? How has it evolved?
5: It has evolved. It started off with about a dozen sleeping cabins. We now have 42 cabins, 50 residents. Uh, And we have moved a couple of times. Uh, When Ron passed away in 2021, his property was sold, and the new owner uh, was not interested in continuing on with us as a tenant. So we moved to an interim site owned by the City of Kitchener. They were helpful in finding us a property. And then we've moved to our long-term site, uh, which we've now been on for about two years. And that part of it is owned by the public school board, part of it by the City of Kitchener. And it's in a sort of a mixed business park industrial area.
0: Uh, Pros and cons, how's it been for you?
5: Well, the pro really is for the residents themselves, as well as for the larger community, but for the 50 residents life is infinitely better now that they have a safe place to sleep they have stability they have formed community they've got access to health care basic services like toilets showers laundry those kind of things are all provided on site and the meals as well
0: how, how but, are those provided uh, on site jeff so, jeff sorry to interrupt how like let's talk for example about washrooms shower that sort of thing how is that provided on site describe this neighborhood for us
5: yeah so the neighborhood is is a cluster of, of of sleeping cabins, which are essentially eight foot by ten foot garden sheds with insulation and electricity and a radiator. Um, the the facilities are in two buildings. So we have a, a shipping container, an eight foot by 40 foot container that has it's outfitted with uh, two washrooms and two showers. So it has it has heat, hot water, uh, everything it needs. Um, and then we've got portable classrooms, three portable classrooms strung together end to end. And that's provided us with a terrific kitchen, dining, community hall type of facility.
0: And what about winter? How are you set up for the cold season?
5: Yeah, well, really winter is is the reason we exist. It's because Canadian winters are tough, as we all know. And a and person could get by sleeping in a tent in a park or in the woods. But in the winter, uh, it, it's tough. And so uh, we are, we're, we're well set up for winter. Uh, each sleeping cabin has insulation and a radiator and, ele- and electricity um the uh the portables that are our kitchen and dining area that's uh, a place where the community can gather uh outside of their own cabin and uh and the residents help shovel the snow and and uh, look after the site so it's been a good community building experience for them as well
0: the site seemed to be a a contentious issue here in hamilton any advice on moving forward
5: I think based on our experience and and what I've learned from talking to community groups across Canada is there's not such a thing as, as a perfect site that if you find a site, that's a reasonable fit, go ahead and do this. I mean, this is such a help to the residents of of the better tent city or to any, any tiny homes community, but it, it, it's a help to the broader community the the do nothing alternative or the business as usual really isn't helping anyone. And, and uh, when people are living rough, there's there's costs there's policing costs by law enforcement emergency health care all those things So there's actually a cost avoidance or cost savings by by doing this but if you're looking for the perfect site you may never find it
0: Mm. Jeff Wilmer with us chair of the board of directors volunteer for Kitchener Waterloo's a better tent city Jeff fascinating story sounds like a success story good luck to you moving
5: forward thank you very much Scott
0: all right. Uh, Kitchener Waterloo can do it. Why the heck can't Hamilton? Has anybody picked up the phone to call and ask for suggestions or help or advice? Uh, maybe if they had, we wouldn't have got to where we were. Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer. He'll delve
3: into the issue until he is.
0: You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. All right, this weekend, as we mentioned, uh, the federal new Democratic Party holding an in-person convention for the first time in five years. It's in the hammer. To talk more about all of this, Henry Jasek with us, professor of political science McMaster University. Henry, thanks for the time. Hope you're well.
6: I am. Thank you, Scott.
0: So, what's the objective of this, Henry? What's the the reason? Um, well, I guess we know the reason for these. But I guess, what's what, what are top uh, what's top of mind? What's on the agenda this week weekend?
6: Well, okay, I mean, overall, of course, uh, this is a, a chance to sort of energize the ordinary workers and uh, uh, and people who are you know tra- traditional supporters of the NDP that they should. Uh, Once again, get excited about the party. They have to look probably two years down the road and uh, and uh, get ready for the, you know, the, the next general election, which will happen in about a couple of years.
0: Uh, what about the leadership of uh, of Jugmeet Singh, uh, Tom? Can we play this clip here? We had him on uh, earlier on in the week, and I was really pressuring him. Like, does does he want to be prime minister? Does he want to uh, trigger an election, or or you know, you know, just add things like a, a pharma or whatever in his agenda? And here's a little clip. I'm not sure if this captures the spirit of the interview. Get in there, Mr. Singh. Get in there and beat them. Why can't you get in there and beat them? We're going to make things happen. We're making things happen right now. We're getting dental care done. We've got GST rebates
7: doubled. We're getting things done concretely to make people's lives better. Because for us, it's not about power for power's sake. And that's what you'll see from both the liberals and the conservatives. They want power just to be in power. You Democrats have used your power for people.
0: Uh, it seems kind of odd, Henry, because he's using his power as leverage in his deal with the uh, with the uh, liberal government. Yet, uh, you know, if he was to become prime minister, he could do whatever he wants. Uh, what are your thoughts on 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 where he stands as a leader?
6: Well, you know, this is a really an old story, and I uh, can remember all the way going back many many years ago asking Tommy Douglas about this after uh, wh- why he didn't go after power when he was the first leader of the NDP, and he said, "Listen." I knew once I took the job, he said, uh, "I will never. I was not going to displace the liberals or conservatives." And quite frankly, uh, that, that that the NDP is still in that position. So uh, what they can do, and you know, the politics is is the art of the possible, I guess, is to say, "Okay, we we're going to make some good changes. We'll put pressure on uh, a major party who's running the government." But uh, we know we're, we're a third or fourth-place party, and uh, right now at this point, we're, we're not, we're not going to be the government. And uh, Is, so anyway, Anyway, that's ahead. what I think how he, he feels. He sort of hides it a bit, but that's the same position that I think the NDP leaders have had over the uh, you know, last 50, 70 years.
0: Is the, is the deal with the Liberals helping them for, from gaining that goal, from taking that next step, because now maybe associated with?
6: Well, you know, it, there are times it looks like there's an upsurge of support for the NDP, uh, and uh, then, then they fall back. And uh, But, of course, there's a, quite a few people in the NDP who, who work hard for the NDP. They want a, a path, you know, they want a plan that's going to get them, you know, close to power uh, you know a number of them say it is fine, great, we're making some improvements in in you know in public policy for people, but you know we we really need to be in power, so we can do a lot of you know more things than just basically a few things because uh we're we're not in power, so yeah, so there's certainly some who want to see that now, I think um oftentimes what has happened after an election, if it's uh, not too bad an outcome compared to the previous election, people will say. Okay, well we're 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 uh, you know doing the best we can now. If he if if he should uh, lose a bunch of votes, uh, people are will start to get nervous and he, he may be in danger after the next election. And you know it's it's interesting. I just say as a, a local point that he's here in Hamilton. You know the NDP has has lost two seats that you know in the uh, this century that they should really have kept. Uh, you know one is Hamilton Mountain and one is over in uh, East End uh, Stony Creek. So that that and I think that's part of the reason why they're coming here is because those are two seats that should have been, you know, retained, uh, you know, by the NDP in the last election. And uh, they weren't. And uh, they have they had so seats are on the mind of a lot of people. They want to want to show some progress of, you know, having a more powerful position.
0: I know, obviously, provincial and and federal different uh, different horses. But with what's been happening with the controversy around Hamilton Centre, is that damaging the brand of the NDP?
6: Well, the, the federal government, uh, basic the fed, sorry the federal NDP has really been united on their position, and so they don't have a problem of a, of a particular uh, you know member who's going you know and and taking a, a position that's different from the rest of the party. The, the obviously the the uh, the party at the provincial level has a problem with the member from a Hamilton Centre, which I think sooner or later they're going to have to really really you know take care of, but they haven't yet. And uh, but but federally, uh, yeah, we don't have a something like that. So for the federal government, so I think they they can they can uh, you know have a different image, which right now is probably good for them.
0: Henry Chasing with us, professor of political science, McMaster University, New Democratic Party, federally in town, holding their convention. Henry, thanks for the time. Be well.
6: Okay, very good. Have a good weekend now, Scott. You're
0: listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Alright, uh, certainly we know the fallout in uh, the impact of uh, Hamas's attack on Israel of last weekend and what has uh, ensued following that uh, including on what is, I guess today, a day of action in support of Hamas. P- uh, police on uh, high alert in various areas, cities across Canada and in North America um, and in and, As we move forward with this, trying to understand everything that is going on, let's bring in Bernie Farber, former CEO of the Canadian Jewish Congress, who dealt with Jewish security issues for three decades and is with us now. Bernie, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well.
8: Well, under the circumstances, I'm doing okay. Uh, Thank you for calling me.
0: Your thoughts on uh, protests that we're seeing in Canada, um, obviously police trying to stay ahead of this uh, with intelligence and such, uh, but your thoughts on what's happening today?
8: Well, I would refer to them more as rallies. Uh, you know, we live in a country, a free and democratic country, where people have the right to, uh, to air their views as long as it's done within the ambit of the law. And what I can tell you from everything I've seen in the last uh, couple of days in relation to uh, here in Canada, and most specifically the Toronto, Hamilton, kind of, you know, greater Toronto area, is that both the Jewish and Muslim Palestinian communities are law-abiding communities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they hold severe, sometimes very uh, opposite uh, uh, differences of opinion, to say the least, especially with this war where there's so much tragedy and so much horror. Um, But for the most part, uh, you know, they they rally uh, uh, and they express themselves. But we are thankfully seeing, uh, other than the odd stupid rumor here and there, we're, uh, we're not really seeing anything more than that. And that is the way it should be.
0: What has this attack done to this discussion? What has it brought to uh, the forefront?
8: Well, it's traumatized the Jewish community. And I think. I think we have to separate two things here. Um, I think it's perfectly legitimate, Scott, for you and I to discuss the barbarism of Hamas on one hand, and for you to have another discussion with a Palestinian, a Canadian Palestinian leader, about the Palestinian cause and what's happening in the West Bank and, and in Gaza. These are two kind of separate discussions because what happened last over the weekend, the last, the last weekend, uh, I don't have words to describe it. Uh, you know, I'm, I am uh, a descendant of a Holocaust survivor. My father was, was the only Jewish survivor of, of his small village. And all the scenes that I saw, all the pictures that I saw, um, all the interviews that I heard, all the images that were shared on on various social media in relation to this, was traumatizing. I have no other word for it. Um, Hamas are are Nazi butchers. They engaged hmm. in the murder of of babies. Uh, they uh, they found ways to uh, you know to storm in and beat the elderly. Um, um, uh, steal and kidnap people. These are images out of, uh, out of the Holocaust. And it's, it was deeply, it's deeply troubling and deeply, deeply traumatizing.
1: And so How it, did, it,
8: it shifted in many respects, you know, the, the, the conversation because people have begun to understand, no matter what side of the coin you're on, there right. is absolutely no way, no way that anyone can look at this and, um, and, and and not condemn the barbarity that we saw. And if you can't condemn it, then you shouldn't be in this conversation because uh, you're just as good as they are as far as I'm concerned.
0: From a Jewish perspective, how do Palestinians separate themselves from Hamas and, and do exactly as you're saying? I mean, you know, at the end of the day, nobody wants this.
8: Well, I, I mean, I, you, you just do. I, I I think it's perfectly legitimate. For people to you know, make statements and public statements, uh, you know, speaking about Hamas's barbarity, um, loudly, uh, clearly, loudly, uh, and with great, uh, you know, emotion and emphasis. Um, and uh, I mean, I don't know what more needs to be done after that. Uh, if you, if you want, people want to get into political discussions about, uh, you know, about what's going to happen now, I mean, I I, I can't imagine you you Hamas deliberately slaughters anyone that's not a state security actor, that's just purely terrorism. Um, yeah. They then embed themselves in a civilian population in order to use them as as hostages, as human shields. So you know, actions have to be taken by any sovereign nation or in order to protect uh, and defend their people. The hope and prayer is that uh, the Israel Defense Forces does all they can to mitigate uh, innocent civilian loss. However, this is this is war, and it's and 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 it's horrible, and it lays at the feet of Hamas. And I think most people, certainly most people I've spoken to, and and you know, Scott, because you and I have talked about this before. I've been very sympathetic to the Palestinian cause in the past. Um, I I have I've spoken out clearly on the need for a two-state solution. Um, I understand that, but what I saw over the last few days. I don't understand that, and I certainly don't understand anybody, Canadian or otherwise, who could embrace that kind of barbarism. I just don't get it, and I think 99.9% of Canadians would agree with me.
0: Will this tragedy force those discussions? You're talking about a two-state solution, what have you. Will this now force, um, uh, yeah, I will it force so. these I discussions? That's a good
8: question. Um, I, I hope it forces a discussion. But let's even take it a little bit simpler. One of the one of the things I am hoping for is that given the fact that I have relationships with, with people in, in, in the in the Muslim Canadian community, in the Jewish Canadian community, I would love to bring leadership together. Now, during this time, we're not going to agree on anything. And, and 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 we know that there's an elephant in the room. But I would love to bring the leadership together now, only to sit down and talk to each other about how. We can ensure that Canada uh, remains Canadian, that we understand that there are wars going on in our diasporas, and they will affect us greatly, and we have the right to protest. But imagine that kind of a message getting out, uh, emanating from, you know, from, from Canada. I, I think that that would be a really, really good start.
0: Uh, does this give Israel now the means to rid Gaza of Hamas?
8: Well, I'm hoping it it does. It certainly gives them the will to want to rid them of Hamas. This has been an ongoing situation for decades now. Um, But my guess is that um, they they played the wrong card. Um, Israel is a tough state. And, uh, you know, uh, this kind of traumatization of its people, the the Israeli state can, and it doesn't matter. I mean, whether you're from the left, or from the right or from the middle, um, Israelis are united in one cause, and that is to wipe out Hamas, to stop this slaughter. And uh, you know, many are watching from the sidelines, many countries watching from the sidelines hoping that that happens.
0: Bernie, is this about left and right, or left or right, or is it about democracy versus authoritarianism?
8: No, no, this is exactly as you said. It, it is democracy versus authoritarianism. Look, there, there have been issues in Israel of that, there's no doubt. Hundreds of thousands of Israelis before this, this war uh, were taking to the streets every weekend, uh, protesting the Netanyahu government and, and, its, and what it sees yeah. as its anti-democratic stance. Um, mm-hmm. But now because of the war, of course, they've all come together under, you know, under one umbrella. We understand that. But Israel is a free and democratic state. It's got its, its blemishes and it's got its pimples like any other free and democratic state. Hamas are terrorists and murderers. And this is the, the essential story of good versus evil. The essential story.
0: Bernie Farber, former CEO of Canadian Jewish Congress, dealt with the Jewish security issues for three decades update on local impacts, what we're seeing in the Middle East. Bernie, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well.
8: Thank you, Scott. You take care.
2: I'm concerned that this could be a second front to what is happening in the world, as we are also dealing with Ukraine, which is our first front. And so uh, that's why I've been uh, talking to many, many of my colleagues and been uh, in contact with them every hour
0: so there is Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie uh, in uh, Tel Aviv as we speak which is kind of odd because when this all started last weekend the Canadian Embassy was closed the Canadian government being accused of late to the game as far as getting flights out uh, the Foreign Affairs Minister saying that uh, as long as there's commercial flights we are not doing this then all of a sudden bloom day six they're uh, evacuating people out of Israel once uh, the Canadians out of Israel once they you know start hearing the news and such. And now, uh, oddly enough, boom, she's there. She's actually uh, in Israel. Is this helping or is this just uh, PR? Elliot Tepper with us, Emeritus Professor of Political Science Carleton University. Elliot, thank you for the time. Hope you're well. Oh, Thank you. Same to you, Scott. So what can be done at this point? Uh, What can everyone do? But first, let's start. What can Canada do?
9: Well, we know that Canada has already sent a plane there are Canadians involved in this, both in Gaza as well as in Israel. So there's uh, latest reports: two Canadian armed force armed forces flights. So we're sending our, our uh, armed forces flights uh, ourselves have evacuated 236 people from Israel. Two more flights are scheduled uh, for Saturday and Sunday. Um, it continues on. There's over 6,500 Canadians in Israel registered with Global Affairs and uh, 485 in West Bank and Gaza. What's going on is that Canada is trying to find a way to deal with the fact that, among other things, we have three Canadians who are among those hostages taken and three more that are missing. So there's Mm. directly a Canadian interest here. Uh, There's another $10 million being pledged by the government of Canada just now for humanitarian purposes, but it cannot go through Hamas. It has to go through Red Cross or perhaps Red Crescent. So Canada is struggling like everybody else, I think, to come to terms with the fact that there's been this uh, massive, catastrophic attack coming from uh, Hamas and Gaza onto the territory of Israel with with casualties and with barbarity. That has shocked the world. Um, uh,
0: we've we've certainly heard that um, there's victims on both sides of this. Hamas, clearly a terrorist organization, um, is this? And I've heard people say left versus right, uh, uh, Palestinians versus Israelis. Isn't this really about democracy versus authoritarianism? And 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 what do Palestinians need to do to separate themselves from Hamas? Well,
9: that's. Thank you for asking that question, because nobody else is really asking it, as near as I can tell. Yes, the Israeli strategy has been to manage this situation, to uh, provide incentives to uh, Hamas by opening up work permits so that workers can cross into Israel. uh, Eight to, I think, 10,000, perhaps. Uh, No, so close to 20,000 workers are going back and forth, so that if if Hamas wants to settle in and govern, then Israel is willing to find a way to work with them. Hamas's strategy, yes, and as part of that strategy, when Hamas sends uh, rockets and uh, incendiary devices into Gaza, that is, when it decides from Gaza into Israel, every few years, Israel goes in to mow the lawn, as they say, that is, to degrade Hamas' uh, Mm. capacity and then to try to find some incentives. Uh, This is a different situation. What we're seeing is, I think, the very successful, uh, repeatedly successful strategy by Hamas to first create a situation and then count on the world to then pressure uh, Israel to back off because so many uh, civilians, innocent civilians, are going to be harmed. Clearly, we are now not in the normal uh, Hamas-Israel situation. It's been transformative, but we aren't sure where it's going to go.
0: Does this now give Israel the means to go in and rid uh, Gaza of Hamas?
9: Well, there's two questions. They definitely have made up their minds this time, repeatedly put it, saying uh, at all. that yeah. We are now going to basically eliminate Hamas roots and branch. There will be no Hamas when this is done. The other side of it is going in to do it. That's a much trickier proposition. Uh, Hamas has, in the past, used human shields. This is a very densely populated part of the world. So the human shields are their own population. They embed their, uh, their equipment and their rockets and their personnel in hospitals and in mosques and in schools, uh, using their own population as human shields. And now they have actual Israeli human shields. So now they're really saying, what our real strategy is, is human sacrifice. We are willing to sacrifice whatever number of Palestinians living in Gaza, uh, in order to uh, have the world lean on Israel to let us continue to get, to get away with our ongoing strategy, which is to eliminate the existence of the state of Israel and replace it with an Islamic state. And Hamas is, remember, a listed terrorist organization by Canada since 2002, so for a long time.
0: Elliot, we could go on for another hour talking about this, but we'll certainly have you back next week. Elliot Tepper with us, emeritus professor, political science, Carleton University, the ongoing uh, troubles in the Middle East, and if there is somewhere a solution in the future. Elliot, have yourself a great weekend. Be well. Well, thank you. Same to you, Scott. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's Talk 900 -CXML. CXML. I remember that which one is it is it Dressup? is it the friendly giant is it Len? is it um, uh, uh, uncle Bobby rocket ship 7 commander Tom If you guessed Mr. Dress Up, you're right. And now streaming on Prime Video, a documentary about this beloved children's entertainer named Mr. Dress Up. Let's bring in Bill Brio, TV critic, journalist, author, Brio.tv, and is with us now. Bill, thank you for the time. I hope you're well.
1: I I am, Scott, and you're making me smile. You just mentioned uh, five of my favorite all-time TV shows. And uh, the remarkable thing about that theme music, and the harp and uh recorder music you heard every time on The Friendly mm. Giant, mm-hmm. they were played live every day. It wasn't really recorded. Yeah, no, it was performed by musicians in the studio every single time. Boy,
0: that's back to the early days of TV, isn't it? Yeah. So uh were these largely used as filler back in this day?
1: Well, kind of because um Generally, a lot of that wasn't, uh, they weren't used for advertising. It was children's programming, command, you know, uh, Friendly Giant and Shea Helen, you mentioned. They were 15 minutes each. There was no ads. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they were sort of, yeah, at, at the beginning, especially the early, um, uh, each, you know, region would have their own children's show. And they would generally get the guy who was the weatherman or the one of yeah. the, somebody there run right of the crew and they would you know be showing Popeye cartoons and being Captain Billy Bob in between. Uh they didn't really bring in any revenue so they weren't supervised. You could literally do anything. And there was a great show Kiddo the Clown I watched when I was a kid and Professors Hideaway, a lot of them from Hamilton. And uh they are uh sadly all wiped out and gone because they were either live or uh They thought the videotape was worth more than the content. They would erase it every time, right?
0: (laughs) That's right. The videotape was too expensive. So you just had to keep re-recording over it uh, time and time again. How long did these shows run? How long did Mr. Dress Up go?
1: Mr. Dress Up was nearly 30 years. uh, In fact, longer when you consider he had a show, Butternut Square, which I remember as a kid. It was was called that for a couple of years before it was Mr. Dress Up. And then he and Fred Rogers came up from Pittsburgh where they had a kid's show. And as you see in this documentary, which is wonderful, uh, they worked at CBC for two years, perfecting their craft. Rogers got called back and he said, listen, you should just go with Ernie. And that was sort of what led to Mr. Dressup. Uh,
0: So did all of these, did these people all keep in touch with each other during this period?
1: Well, those two did. They were good friends. And uh, Mr. Dressup, when, when Ernie Coombs finally retired, Uh, in like uh, when was that, 1996 or something? He um, you know, he messaged, he taped a segment congratulating him. Uh, but they were, you know, Mr. Ernie was basically his puppeteer way back in the Mm -hmm. early days in the early 60s, and then when he launched his own show, uh, he became the host and had his own puppeteer, Judith Lawrence, and she did Casey and Finnegan.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of puppetry, a lot of craft sort of stuff on that show too, wasn't there?
1: Yeah, that a lot of puppets on early early children's TV, and uh, as we learn in the uh, documentary, you know that Casey and Finnegan very vital to the success of that show, Uh, and way ahead of his time. Nobody knew what gender uh, Casey was. You know, you could was that a boy (laughs) or a girl, and in a way, that's a very modern approach, right?
0: Isn't that something? So how did shows like that uh, influence what we see today with kids? I mean, now it's Disney. It's everything. I mean, there's so much going on compared to how raw those were in basic.
1: Well, yeah, but I think the point is made in the documentary. Uh, a lot of those shows ended 30 years ago. Do you think the society is any better or worse now? Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, there was something. And it's fascinating. Friendly giant uh, Bob Ommi uh, and Fred Rogers and all these guys, they were not Canadians. They were uh, Americans brought north. Yep. And even Judith Lawrence came from Australia. Uh, but they, they, they defined generations of Canadian culture. A lot of us all across Canada grew up with these people, and they were gentle, and they did not talk down to you. They hmm. were not patronizing. And they Yeah, that's skeptical. very important,
0: Bill. They weren't patronizing. They didn't talk to you like you were a little kid.
1: No, uh, to me, the, it was the Friendly Giant. And it was he was like Walter Cronkite if you were five years old. <laughs> yeah. He was the most trusted man in television. And you just, he he really was somebody real. In fact, he never made personal appearances because he was five foot eight. You know, he didn't want kids to see him as the Giant. Yeah, no, seriously. He, they, he did not go out in public as the Friendly Giant. So they took it seriously, but they really... Uh, communicated one-to-one with their young viewers, and that made such a difference.
0: Captain Kangaroo, another great example.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was CBS first thing in the morning. He was the Clarabelle the Clown on the early Howdy Doody, going right back to the roots of TV and uh, television. <laughs> I had uh, no idea. Yeah, yeah. Bob Keeshan was, was for a few years. Then he got tired of the seltzer bottle, and he went on had his <laughs> own show as Captain <laughs> Kangaroo, <with> Mr. Green <laughs> Jeans, and all of that. All right. I can't let you go
0: without asking you your thoughts of the Golden Bachelor. I kind of stumbled on this when my wife was watching it. And, you know, it was kind of like the very first survivor. I couldn't stop for a while anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what it is. Why, why it's different from the other bachelors, obviously, because it's older people and such. But, but what is the attraction here other than, uh, older people or, or people that are older than us that are seemingly getting more action than we are?
1: Well, a couple of things. You know, they tried a few things. There was the little bachelor and the tubby bachelor. Remember, like 20 years ago, they had different variations. Uh, the left-handed bachelor, I, you know, they just went on and on. <laughs> Finally, they hit the one, though, that makes the most sense. Because when you think about it, people who watch um, network television are older. And yeah. uh, so it's sort of like if the median age is 60, shouldn't the bachelor guy be 60? And uh, there's just another hero for all of us to uh, to watch and see how he does. And that's, I think, why it works.
0: And Jimmy Kimmel is like all over this stuff. I'm watching, flipping around last night. and It's like he's got The Bachelor
1: guy on. Of course, it's ABC. Jimmy's, Jimmy's in his late 50s. You know, like we can't be pointing too many fingers. Most of these old bachelors are younger yeah. than I am, right? So, uh, <laughs> you know, but, but, I, but I just think it's it's the audience is ready for that because the audience is sort of aging along. 2 the Bachelor's been on TV for 20, 20 some odd years, you know? So wow. the, yeah. if you watch it in your 20s, you're now one of the older viewers watching The Older Bachelor.
0: That, when's the middle-aged uh, Bachelor coming, uh, you know? <laughs> uh,
1: no, this now, is going to get Scott. ugly.
0: All right, yeah. Bill Brio with us, TV critic, journalist, author, Brio.TV. A great documentary about Mr. Str- uh, Mr. Dress Up yeah. now streaming on Prime, on Prime, Prime Video. I'm
1: looking for it. That's a great, uh, great doc. Yep. Thanks, Bill. Have a great weekend. You too, Scott. <laughs>
0: Let's bring in Larry D'Anne, former mayor of the city of Hamilton, just to talk about what's going on politically in the city. He is with us now. Larry, thank you for the time. I hope you're well.
7: I am well, Scott, and headed uh, to the Ticat game as well, my wife and I.
0: <laughs> Good for you. It is, uh, And I understand it's going to be a sold-out show tonight, so that's uh, going to be a great night in, in uh, Tim Hortons Field.
7: Well, it it hopefully it'll be entertaining, but it'll be great only if the Ticats win.
0: Yes, absolutely, and Bo makes a return, so or a first, yes. I guess. So we'll see what happens. All right. Uh, obviously, lots of commotion over uh, the words of MPP Sarah Jemma uh, took over from Andrew Horvath Hamilton Center. Oddly enough, uh, NDP federal convention in town this weekend with Jugmeet Singh and uh, crew and such. Uh, certainly not the first time for Sarah. Uh, how do you? How do you? Uh, time after time after time justify this if you're a leader, Larry?
7: Well, um, you know, where to begin? Um, I think that uh, the leader of the party who has reprimanded uh, Sarah (laughs) Jamma uh, for her post and her opinion uh, must be tearing her hair out because uh, she's had to do it time and time again. Now, it's a weak reprimand, but at least it was a reprimand. She asked um, that the post be taken down. I understand as late as this afternoon that it hadn't been taken down. Um, And so uh, it remains to be seen whether the leader of the party will do anything about that or not. Uh, And that's why I say it's a weak reprimand, because if you say, uh, do this, and you're a member of my party and you don't, there needs to be some consequence for that, I would think. But but here's here would be my point that that Sarah Jama, uh, whom I know by the way and and um, could be a, a a good MPP. She does champion some things that obviously got her elected in uh, in the ward. Um, um, really needs to understand that she when she posts something when she utters some words. She's not doing it as a private individual anymore. She's doing it as a member of a party and a member of the legislature in Toronto. She's doing it as a member of parliament. And so the the platform for that is is certainly higher than it would be if you were just a private citizen. And so you've got to ask yourself this question. If, If you're doing it as a member of a party, is what you're saying representative of what the party uh, stands for? And clearly not, because her own leader uh, has told her to take the post down. I disagree with what you're saying. And so consequently, um, you are then going against the wishes of your own party by uttering uh, the, the the word that, that she did in her, in her post. And then the other question for me is, where in the um, in the mandate of your provincial duties um is foreign affairs, hmm. which is what this is and and there is no mandate it's it's not something uh, if you're a federal member of parliament, they deal with that issue, she's not dealing with it, so she is uttering an opinion that she obviously herself holds and has held for a long time, and the words have been hurtful because. The, the original post you know she mellowed it with, with the subsequent post, but the original post simply brained Israel for the historic seventy uh, five year old decision that was was made when they created the state of Israel and and in her opinion disadvantage and in many opinions disadvantaged the Palestinian people in uh, in Gaza. Uh, and so there was no acknowledgement whatsoever of the atrocities by Hamas, killing babies, killing children, killing young people at a dance, uh, kidnapping and killing um, women and, and um, older folks as well, indiscriminately. and And that atrocity is terrorism. And so she could have said, I really do not agree with what they've done. And then maybe provided some context in terms of the historic uh, uh, lessons around around the creation of of the state and and the grievances. But it was all about grievances, which gave a pass to the terrorists, and that's why people are upset. And that's why I think, I think, and I hope that people in her ward will note that because she's done it time and time again, yeah. where she she has not shown any sensitivity until she's been reprimanded towards the victims of terrorism. And that is just an awful position to take, in my opinion.
0: And I completely understand there's two sides of the story. There's a very, obviously, incredibly historic. But for her and for many, and which hopefully we're starting to see now, there was no separation of Hamas and Palestinians. I mean, it was like all were one. And I don't think that's even what Palestinians are looking for.
7: No, no. And in fact, um, you know, gosh, they... The discussion around the history on this uh, would take a long, long discussion, yeah, yeah. Uh, Scott. but but there are some grievances that, that need to be addressed, You know, some moves that were made by the Netanyahu government in terms of the aggressive taking of land and more land uh, is, is something that, that, that needs to be resolved in some positive way. Mm-hmm. But terrorism is not going to make the, the plight of the Palestinians any better. As we're witnessing, yeah. they are being destroyed. And that is such a humanitarian tragedy. And and for someone to cheerlead an act which leads to further suffering for the people you're trying to support is crazy. It's just nuts.
0: So why would Merritt Stiles defend her? Why would she just, you know, I've had a talk with her. Oh, my goodness. How many times have we heard that? Uh, why would she just not cut her loose? Do the NDP need these votes?
5: Well, clearly,
7: um, they're making that calculation, although quite frankly, if they were to cut her loose and run and she's citizen independent and then the NDP would run another candidate under the NDP banner, chances are that that candidate would get elected. Um, uh, so, So it would be short term pain politically for the party. Um, I, I I just don't know. Other than it's weak need leadership, I guess to some extent. I mean, how else can you interpret it? When I say take something down because I disagree with it, it's not taken down, and and there's no consequence. Now there may be consequence coming coming down, and who knows what the private conversations have been uh, have been. Although she gave Miss Jamma some cover when she said I understand. You know, she's got some. Yeah. Some Palestinian uh, heritage, and and she supports uh, the Palestinian um, cause. Okay, but you can separate that, uh, if you will, yeah. uh, from from the atrocity of terrorism. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem she did that. I mean, look at what the Jewish Federation in Hamilton has said. Look at what yeah. a number of people. I mean, it's been it's been not only provincial news; it's been national news. So, you, if you're in
0: help if you're, in Hamilton, if you're in Hamilton Center, Larry, how do you digest this? Is this the attention you want?
7: I, don't, I wouldn't think so. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, Hamilton Center is kind of a unique place. I love it. I'm, I happen to be here right now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we went out for supper in, in Hamilton Center at a nice restaurant. Um, and, and, and we're going to be heading to the stadium uh, for a game, which is also in Hamilton Center. Uh, I, I lived, I grew up in Hamilton Center. Mm-hmm. But the, the voting uh, is is very low. It's, it's traditionally, municipally, and provincially and federally. Uh, very low turnout in vote. Uh, there are so, some socioeconomic issues there. I don't know how much people pay attention to it because, you know, they're paying attention to, to surviving, perhaps. So there are all kinds of issues. But I hope those who are paying attention to politics and go out and vote will reflect on, is this the kind of leadership we want at the provincial level? Uh, someone who speaks about things that are not part of their mandate, and is speaking as a member of parliament rather than as a private individual, maybe in a in a private uh, uh, venue or a platform as opposed to an uh, an MPP's platform, and and um, and make the right decision when the time comes. I would hope.
0: Larry DeAnne with us, former mayor, city of Hamilton, on his way to the TICAC game tonight, commenting on what is going on in Hamilton Center. Larry, thank you for the time. Good luck. Have fun tonight.
7: Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpayer and customer to have the last word
5: oh great show as always scott and
3: now it's time for me to watch tycats game hope they win